Well, good morning. We had a great start to the day as uh, we, uh, I guess, put the finale on our backpack buddies. And so uh, those that were in town were able to meet this morning over in the activity center and have some donuts and uh, just uh, appreciate one another. Our backpack buddies are members of this congregation who adopt one of our summer's kids for the school year. And so they build relationships and interact with one another uh, for, I guess, about nine months of the year on that uh, more formal uh, program that we do. And so uh, some relationships and even buddies who were buddies three, four, five years ago or so when we started this, uh, you can still see them connecting when we're together. And isn't that what the church is about, is about connecting and being together and, and appreciating one another. And so uh, I would ask you to listen uh, coming up in probably August as we get ready to gear up for our next Backpack Buddies season, and if you have not participated in this before, I encourage you to do it. Uh, it's a great way to get to know some of our summer's kids, and more importantly, for them to get to know you, uh, because I've, I've, Tress and I have talked, and I have said before that I do not want my children, if something should happen to me, and God calls me home, I don't want my children's only connection to church to be their daddy, or their mama. I want it, number one, to be God and their Lord Jesus Christ, but I want it to be the people that they're part of that congregation with. And so that's why it's so important. And that's why I'm so glad that that you support that here at Summers Avenue. So we're in the 11th chapter of Hebrews in our new series here. One of the best-known chapters, uh, I would say, probably in the whole Bible. And so, so throughout this letter, there is an element regarded as absolutely essential to the development of the Christian life, and that is the quality of faith, the quality of our faith. And so we read last week a quote from 19th century poet and philosopher Henry David Thoreau, who once said, if I seem to walk out of step with others, if you see me moving out of step with others, it's because I'm listening to the beat of a different drum. I follow the beat of a different drum, and we use that uh, in our own uh, language today, that, that phrase. And so that's what faith looks like, though, to the unbeliever, that Christians are walking to the beat of a different drum. And so it's tricky when you pull one chapter out of a, of a book, uh, out of its intended place here, because the, the, the possibility that you lose the context is, is there. And so, But what I want to do is I might, not to look at Hebrews chapter 11 with regards to its place within the letter here, but rather to consider why these specific examples were used in chapter 11. These are not the only people of faith that lived throughout history. But for some reason, the writer of this book used them to make a point. And so that's what we're going to look at over these next few weeks. Why were these specific examples used to encourage and urge the readers to hold to their faith in God? And so we've heard of them referred to as heroes of the faith. That's not in Scripture. That's something we have attached to it. Heroes of faith. But are they really heroes? And that's my question. Are they really heroes? Or are they humans? Were they humans? Just like you, just like myself, who with the full assurance and conviction found the power to stake their lives on unseen realities. And so these original readers of Hebrews were undergoing immense pressure at the time they received this letter, even persecution for following this way of Jesus. And so chapter 11 is a continuation of the encouragement from chapter 10 to continue to believe in the promises of God instead of giving up. Don't give up. And so 
True faith is this inner conviction that results in a continued belief even when life is difficult and you can't see what God is doing. That's the hard part. That's the struggle, isn't it, in humanity. That's the struggle in faith. Not being able to see what God is up to. And so we're beginning chapter 11 and verse 1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for, being convinced of what we do not see. And faith is a word that can be pretty misunderstood. We use it in a lot of different contexts uh, just in our language today. And, uh, you know, have, have faith that the car will start. Have, have faith that this bridge I'm going to walk across will not collapse. Have faith that the rope that I'm hanging on to is not going to break. And so we use that in different ways. But faith, for instance, is not positive thinking. Faith is not positive thinking. Positive thinking is something quite different than faith. Faith is not a hunch that's followed. Faith is not hoping for the best. That's not what faith is, hoping that everything will turn out all right. Faith is not some feeling of optimism that you may have. It's none of these things, though all of them have been identified as faith. And so the inspired writer is not discussing faith in general. He's discussing faith in God. And so now faith is being sure of what we hope for, being convinced of what we do not see. Faith is this peg on which we hang our hopes. And it's because of faith that our hope is not some flimsy dreaming. Faith has substance and faith has reality. And some would equate faith with living in la-la land. You know, that faith detaches you from the harsh realities of life. Or just, you know, faith is, some, is something that's not tangible. It just gets you away from everything that's real. And that is not what faith is. I believe Scripture shows us how faith in God really provides the only answer to the harsh realities of life. And life is given meaning through our relationship with a very personal God. And so Leo Tolstoy, not Toy Story, but Tolstoy, that's a hard name to pronounce. He was an author, War and Peace. Some of you might have read that in school. I was asked to. <laughs> he also wrote a classic work called My Confession. I did skim through this one. So, uh, but it outlines his struggle. He had a struggle with the meaning of life and this, this walk of, of journey towards faith in God. And so, as long as Tolstoy didn't know why he was living, he found it hard to, to really do anything, to be motivated for anything in life. Why pursue wealth? Why pursue property? Why have an education? Why insist on your children having an education? Why even attempt to become famous or a famous author as he did? By what principles can anyone live? And upon what foundation can we stand? That's what he struggled with. And the fact that Tolstoy himself had every reason to be happy. He had a, a, a good family, a loving family. He had wealth. He had fame. He could not escape the anguish of this, though. And he concluded that scientific knowledge can give no answer to the question of life's meaning other than an indefinite answer. And the answer provided by faith, however, gave some concrete answers that relate the finite to the infinite. And so the answer to how a person must live is simple. You live according to God's laws. It's a simple way to live. The answer to the question of what's going to happen from life is concrete or palpable. Either there's going to be eternal bliss or eternal torment. And so he came to that conclusion. And without faith, death destroys life's meaning. And so with faith, the union with the infinite God survives bodily death and provides life with eternal significance. So here's what he concluded. 
Here's what tipped his worldview. He said, in contradistinction to the fact that the more intelligent we are, the less do we understand the meaning of life and the more do we see a kind of bad joke in our suffering and death. you know anybody who feels that way? These people, he's talking about people of faith, these people live, suffer, and approach death and suffer in peace and more often in joy. What tipped his worldview is watching Christians. Watching how people of faith handle life. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for, being convinced of what we do not see. For by it, the people of old received God's commendation. And by faith we understand that the worlds were set in order at God's command so that the visible has its origin in the invisible. And so the word here for conviction or evidence, that's not used anywhere else in the New Testament. It's used outside of Scripture. Its normal use would be proof or argument or evidence, you know, something objective about the world rather than something subjective about how we feel about the world or how we feel about what's going on. But what about the meaning here in verse 1? And most translators don't use the old word proof or evidence because it doesn't seem to make sense. And here's what I mean. How can faith be evidence or proof? I mean, faith needs evidence, right? Isn't that what we think? But let's look at the illustration of this definition of faith. Look in verse 3. Verse 3 is directly related to this definition of faith as the evidence of things not seen. He says, By faith we understand that the worlds were set in order at God's command, so that the visible has its origin in the invisible. So there's a connection here between these. Verse 1 says that faith is the evidence of things not seen. And verse 3 says that faith understands that what is seen was made out of what is not seen, namely the Word of God. So verse 3 is a specific illustration of the definition in verse 1. So how do we know that God made the world out of nothing that can be seen? How do we know that? Not only were we not there, but had we been there, we would not have been able to see the act of creation because we cannot see words coming out of someone's... the Word coming out. So how do we know or understand that the worlds were made by God? How can we know that what is seen was made out of the invisible, namely, this Word of God? Well, verse 3 answers, by faith. That's what faith is. By faith we understand. It doesn't say by faith we see. It says by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the Word of God. So this starts to sound more like the old translation of verse 1 might make sense after all. So if faith is the evidence of things not seen, then it may make sense to say by faith or by evidence, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the Word of God. But if we take a newer translation, that faith is the conviction of things unseen, and we say, well, by conviction we understand that the worlds were prepared and made by the Word of God, then it almost sounds like we're reasoning in a circle. Because if I have the conviction that God created the world, therefore I understand that He did create the world. And I understand that He created the world, therefore I have the conviction that He created the world. So we can reason ourselves into a circle here. So the crucial question is really, how is faith evidence of what you cannot see. How is it evidence of the unseen, namely this 
creative happening by God as He brought this world into existence. Well, I've got to take my clue from somewhere else in the New Testament because I'm not the only person that's wrestled with this, where God's invisible attributes are, are said to be clearly seen. We can clearly see what's invisible. What? Well, we read this in Romans. And so the Apostle Paul writes, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, what are those? How can you see what's invisible? Well, it's His eternal power and His divine nature. How can we see that though? How do we know that's there? He says they've been clearly seen because they're understood through what has been made. So people are without excuse. And the word understood here in Romans 1.20 is the same word used in Hebrews 11.3. By faith we understand. Understood. So here in Romans 1.20 it says, we understand the invisible attributes of God by what has been made. And Hebrews 11.3 says, we understand the invisible Word of God behind the creation of faith. So Romans chapter 1 seems to say the evidence that God made the world is the things made. The things made point to a Maker. They point to it. And Hebrews 11 seems to say the evidence that God made the world is faith. So think about this for a moment. Here's what I make of it. Faith, at least in part, faith is the spiritual seeing, the spiritual perceiving of the fingerprints of God on the things that He has made. So the fingerprints of God on the things He has made, the, the order, the beauty, the, the greatness, all of this is evidence that God has made this world. But seeing these fingerprints is also evidence it's the other side of the coin. So if you ask me, how do you know that Dick's Sporting Goods is up here on East McCain? How do you know it's there? Well, my, Because I saw it Friday. <laughs> That's how I know it was there. So my seeing is evidence that it's there. And I think that's the way faith is. It's evidence of things unseen. We all look at the same fingerprints. But we don't all see it, do we? So those who see have the evidence. They have the testimony in themselves. They believe. How can that be? A few years ago, the rages of these 3D images. I've used this illustration before. These pieces of art where on one level they're one thing. So you may look at it and you say, well, that's just a bunch of you know, splatter of colors. But when you stare at it and you see a deeper level of it, maybe a stealth bomber pops out, you know, 3D stealth fighter, or maybe it's a, the head of a lion or something. So at first glance, all you see is a surface presentation. But if you let your eyes focus more deeply or more distantly, then you really see what, is, what lies behind, what lies underneath. And some people stare at these things several minutes and see nothing but color, nothing but chaos. But others almost immediately see what's there. Maybe it's Beethoven. Maybe it's the head of a lion or something like that. If someone says, how do you know? How do you know a stealth fighter is there? How do you know a lion is there as they're staring at it? Because I see it. Because I see it. That's how you're seeing is the evidence. They may not see it, but that's not going to change your mind. Because you see it. And so this is what it looks like for some to look at God's creation. Some look at the creation and they see color and chaos. But others have a deeper view and suddenly God's fingerprints come into focus. So what evidence can they offer? They see it. They see it. It's as undoubted as a lion and a 
3D image, a stealth fighter and a 3D image. No one can talk you out of it. When you, once you see it, you cannot be unconvinced of it. So should that be called faith? What Didn't Paul say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and around verse 7 that we walk by faith and not by sight? So what do you mean? How can faith be sight then? Paul says that Jesus Christ is not present physically on earth to see with our physical eyes, but He's in heaven. The right hand of God. He didn't say there's no spiritual perception of God's reality. What did he say? Hebrews 11.1 1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for, convinced of what we do not see. And then in verse 3 he says, we understand by faith that God created the world. So in other words, faith is not just a responding act of the soul. It's grasping. Faith is perceiving. Faith is understanding. It's a spiritual act that sees the fingerprints of God. And this doesn't mean you believe them into being. Because that would be wishful thinking. That God is just wishful thinking. That His promises are just wishful thinking. That's the power of positive thinking. That's not authentic faith. Real faith is based on real truth. And that looks deeply at what God has made. It looks through it, so to speak. And by the grace of God, it sees it. It sees the glory of God jumping off the page of creation. Just like that image hidden on that 3D canvas. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. Faith is a deep confidence. It's a deep confidence that the promises of God will come true. We stake our choices. We stake our actions, our plans, our entire life on this. Faith frees us from the fears and the, 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 the greed of worldliness that we find ourselves living in that block the flow of this radical, risk-taking, sacrificial love that God calls us to. And so if we have a strong conviction that God is going to care for us and He's going to bring us into glory and fulfill all of His promises to us forever, then that conviction frees us from self-indulgence and it frees us to serve others. And so this word assurance or being sure here, it can mean nature, it can mean substance, it can mean reality, it can mean essence. In other places, for example, Hebrews 1 and verse 3, we read Jesus is the exact representation of God's nature. So if that's what's meant here, then we should think like this. Faith doesn't create what we hope for. If faith just created what we hope for, that'd just be a mind game, a spiritual mind game. Faith is the spiritual apprehending. It's perceiving. It's, it's tasting and sensing the beauty and the sweetness and the preciousness and the goodness of what God has promised especially His own fellowship and the enjoyment of His presence. And so faith, as we think, it doesn't just feel confident that this is coming someday. Faith is not just some confidence we feel. Faith has a spiritually laid hold of and perceived and tasted that it's real. And this means that faith has this substance or this nature of what is hoped for in it. And so faith's enjoyment of the promise is like a substantial down payment that reality's coming. Faith is a down payment of what's coming, God's promises. And so faith provides a guarantee, but faith also moves us forward. Faith is not stagnant. Faithfulness requires holding firm, but it also requires moving forward. And so to know the fullness of faithfulness, we have to remember the stories. That's why Hebrews 11 is so important. See, it's not just about faith being the, the, the substance 
of things hoped for, the assurance of what we have yet to see. But faith is also about stories of people who have lived by faith. And so for it, the people of old received God's commendation. So some of us find it easy to hold fast. Some of us are in a place in our life where it's easy for us to hold firm, to stand firm in faith. We know the stories. We know the stories of the Bible. We know the stories of this congregation. We know the stories of faithfulness. We know the stories of sacrifice. And these stories matter because the stories we tell, the stories we make our own, they give us bearings. They keep us focused. They help us work out where we stand. They help us work out who we are and what we ought to do. But we can find it harder to move forward into the future. We're not that fond of tents. And we're pretty good at traveling with lots of baggage. But others of us have no problem moving forward. We like to camp. We travel light. And so I have faith and I'm moving forward with it. And so we ask, where can I go and join what God is doing now? Give me something else to conquer, God. And so we're a people on the way, on the move, knowing that the future belongs to God, but we need help holding fast. And so learning the story of God's faithfulness to His promise. And so we need to learn about loyalty. We learn about endurance. We learn about how to persevere even when the path is rough and it's long. When we have our our generation one on Sunday night, that's what that is about. A big piece of that is, is sharing with others how we hold fast but yet move forward in our walk in faith. And so we, these children, these younger adults, and sometimes our older adults, we hear the walk of faith and the assurance of faith in the life of others. And it strengthens us. We need both dimensions of faithfulness. We have to hold fast to the promises of God and we've got to move forward into the future. Faith is the assurance, being sure of what we hope for. And faith begins with discontent. Do you believe that? Faith begins with being unsatisfied. You cannot grow, continue to grow, until you're dissatisfied with where you are right now. And you're longing for something better. If you don't feel dissatisfied with the way you are, it's going to be impossible to exercise your faith in any way that it's going to grow. And so doesn't that mean you're spiritually lacking though? No, it doesn't at all. But it means you recognize how He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Our kids know that song. We forget a lot of those songs, don't we, as we grow. And that's why... All through the Bible, this great enemy of faith is a complacent spirit. An attitude of of self-satisfaction, self-preservation, status quo. That's an enemy of faith. But if you're dissatisfied, you're looking for something better. You're not content to be merely just some cultured animal living out a life of eating, sleeping, and just being nurtured and amusing yourself. We're people on the move. We understand how God has finished His great work in Christ Jesus, but He has not yet finished His great work in me. So we're being convinced of what we do not see. Faith is the assurance that things hoped for, the things you, the things you are longing to have, these promises of God to be, make you a better man, a better woman, how you would like to be, that those are going to be achieved by acting on God's revelation of what is yet to be seen. His promises. And how can we ever explain things which are seen until we come to grips with what is unseen? 
And so faith has a way of piercing the illusion that tends to distract us. It, 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 the, the illusion that leads us into chasing rabbits of thought all over the pasture. And so faith brings us right to the point. Faith brings us right to the point. God is, was, and always will be. That's the point. So we don't laugh at faith. Faith is dealing with facts. Faith grounds us immediately on reality. You think about science. Science, for instance, cannot tell you how human history is going to end. But by faith, I know. And science cannot tell me what's wrong with human life. What's the reason that I act the way I do? Or I don't act the way I do? Or you act the way you do? But by faith, I understand. Because God has revealed that to me. And science cannot tell me what lies beyond the door of death. Even to scientists, it's an enigma. It's a mystery. But by faith, I know what lies beyond. And science cannot explain the mysteries of my own makeup. Cannot tell me how to fulfill my manhood or how to realize my dreams. But by faith, faith can do that. How do you know, Sean? Because I've tried it. And I found it works. It works. And this is why faith always pleases God. Because it comes to grips with reality. And God is the ultimate realist. He's the ultimate realist. He's never impressed by the phony and He has no time and no patience for the false. God deals only with truth. Because He is truth. And He says that to trust His Word as a plain statement of truth, ignore all the mocking taunts of everyone else, all those who think they know better, But it's not going to be an easy path. But it is an absolutely sure one. Living by faith. That's what Hebrews 11 says to us. We live by faith. Faith that God said, let there be light. And there was light. Faith that God said, I accept Jesus Christ as the sacrifice for humanity's sin. Faith that God says, I will give you My Spirit as a promise, a guarantee, a down payment that I'm going to redeem you one day for eternity. That's what faith is. And the substance of that is in this room this morning. It's us. It's coming together. It's looking to the right, looking to the left, and seeing people who are also living by faith. And I can hold on to that because I can reach out and touch you. And I can hear you. And I can see you live your life by the precious Word of God. This morning, maybe you've been struggling with faith. Maybe faith doesn't feel as sure as it once did. You know, sin can do that. Sin can creep into our life and circumstances can happen in life that cause us to doubt. We want to pray with you and for you this morning that your faith would be strengthened. That you would repent of that sin and ask for forgiveness and have faith that God is faithful and just to forgive you. And that you would have faith that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one will come to the Father except through Him. And that this morning you will place your faith in Him. And you will give your life to Him to be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and have faith that God will forgive.
And that you will receive His Spirit. The promise of God. And that you will be invited and welcomed in by God the Father into His family of precious children. The redeemed who have a hope. A city not yet seen, but one that our assembly today gives us just a glimpse of. This morning while we're together, if we can pray with you in any way to strengthen you, to comfort you, walk with you, if we can share in the joy of watching you be baptized into Christ, we're going to stand now and sing a song of encouragement. Will you come as we sing?